Happy New Year. Um, I was reminded this weekend as we spent some time together as elders of the church, how fortunate we are to be a part of this. Um, I was having a conversation with a couple of guys this weekend. It's been three and a half years since we've been doing this. And as, as we look forward to 2015, it, it causes me to kind of look back and be so thankful that me and my family has been a part of this opportunity that God's given us and gotten to know so many wonderful and beautiful people. So I want to just take this opportunity to say thank you for that. Um, as we look toward the scripture today, I wish you'd get your Bible and turn to Luke chapter nine. Uh, and as you're turning, as I was trying to pray through what to speak about today, the first Sunday of the year, God had placed on my heart personally um, what he was calling me to from a point of discipleship or following him. And even in our talks this weekend with our elder group, the subject of us as a church and as we move forward as a church, how important discipleship is. And so I've chosen this passage today uh, to kind of look at that subject. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read in honor of God's word. Luke 9, beginning in verse 57 and following through 62, uh, it'll be on the screens if you don't have your Bible with you today, just follow along. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You may be seated. It was the year 1519, and the explorer Hernan Cortez set sail for Mexico. The indigenous population of Mexico at the time was about 5 million people. He took with him 11 ships, 13 horses, 110 sailors, and 553 soldiers. Twice before he had tried uh, to, uh, to invade this, this land, but he didn't even have the ability to establish a settlement in the new world. But what happened this time, once he landed, is an epic tale of mythic proportions. As he got off the ship and his men got off the ship, he issued the order that was an all or nothing proposition. He said, burn the ships. And as his crew looked, as the fleets burned and, and went into the ocean, they realized that retreat was not an option. It's that kind of condition, unconditional commitment that Christ calls us to if we're going to be his followers. Um, you know, this idea of church was never meant to mean a building or a service time. Anytime we see the term church in the Bible, it always refers to a collective gathering of followers of Jesus Christ. In the Bible, the first thing that Jesus says to his disciples is, follow me. And the last thing that Jesus says to his disciples 
is go and make followers of me. And in between those times, we see a lifetime of him teaching them what it means to follow God and obeying the commandments that he's giving so they can be the people that God intends them to be. One thing in our culture today, though that fights against this, is the idea that anything worthwhile can, can, can be gained in an instantaneous moment. If it can be done, we think it can be done quickly and efficiently. You see, it's easy sometimes to get people interested in the gospel, and that is, hey, God loves me, and God will forgive me. But it becomes terribly difficult to sustain that interest when it takes what he is commanding us to, to follow him. Um, there's an Irish movie that I watched recently. I see my friend John Maxwell here, and John would love this movie if he hadn't seen it, but it was released in 2014, and the name of it was Calvary. And it's a film about a good Irish priest and the way that he interacts with his parishioners. It's a very dark, dark comedy. So if that's your thing, I would highly recommend it. I loved it, but it's not for everybody. Okay, but there's a scene in the, you've seen it? Okay, but, but you're going to like it. But there's a scene in the movie where this Irish priest is talking to a young widow and she's just lost her, her husband uh, to a drunk driving accident where some teenagers had been out partying and drinking and they hit this, uh, this couple head on and, and he died. They'd just been married a few weeks before. And, and in this scene, she looks at him and she says, Father, what happens if I lose my faith? And, and what he said next was so profound to me. He said, for most people, all faith is, is a fear of dying and nothing else. And if that's all it is, then it's very easy to lose. Just think about that. Is that what faith is to us? Eugene Peterson, one of my favorite authors and a pastor, writes a book, wrote a book on, on, the, on the path to discipleship called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And he takes that phrase from the philosopher Nietzsche, but that's what it takes. It takes setting your mind in one direction and staying on that path and being obedient to what God, God calls us to do. So we come to Luke's gospel that we just read and we find this very difficult passage. Now, a few verses earlier, we see that Jesus has set his face toward Jerusalem. It's about six months before the cross. In this section of Luke, beginning in Luke chapter nine, verse 51, and going through Luke chapter 19, verse 27, is what we call the central section of the book of Luke. It's a collection of stories and teachings that are not necessarily all tied together because the theme of this section is about the journey that Christ was making. So I think it's very, very fitting that toward the first of this passage in, in verse in 57, Jesus gives us this story about what it takes and the cost to follow him. Now, to each one of these three individuals that we read, Jesus has something to say. It's real important for us to understand that Jesus was dealing with them as individuals, and that's the way he deals with us today, okay? For example, when Jesus taught, talked to the rich young ruler, 
He said things tailor-made to the rich young ruler that he might not say to someone else because, you see, the rich young ruler had a problem with monies and possessions, and it got in the way of what God was calling the rich young ruler today to do. So, therefore, Jesus talked to him and said things to him he wouldn't customarily say to all of us. Now, this passage for years has been very confusing to me, but if you look at it from that lens, then it makes a little bit more sense. It'd be wrong for us to force this type of material into teaching that, an that, that a believer should not provide for or go to an unbeliever's funeral, even if they were in their own family, because Jesus was talking to that person in that immediate circumstance. What Christ is doing is he's confronting conditional discipleship. The principle here is not the immediate actions of what he tells these people to do. It's the overall theme of whatever it's in our way to follow him unconditionally. It needs to be removed. Now, let's go back to verse 57. The first person Jesus addresses here says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have their holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. If you look at the, the parallel passage to this in Matthew chapter 8, we find out that this is not an ordinary townsperson. This person is a scribe. And the scribes were a part of the religious establishment of Israel. They were as almost as prominent as you could be. So for this person to come and follow Jesus was a very unusual thing. In fact, we'll never know what the disciples were going through their head because it was so stunning that this person would have even shown up. Now, it makes me think what happens to us when prominent people come to church and endorse the gospel. And there's something in us that wants prominent people to endorse the gospel. Athletes, politicians, celebrities, we want them to come to our churches. It makes us feel good about ourselves. But Jesus sees people on an equal plane. The statuses that we put around people, Jesus doesn't see that. In fact, Jesus is calling common people to, commit, com to commitment. If he can get common people like businessmen and salespeople and teachers and doctors and nurses and attorneys to have absolute commitment for him, he could turn the world upside down. But, but what would we have done with this scribe when he came? You know, what made this scribe attractive to Jesus? Did he see, this, did he see the crowds forming? Maybe he saw the healing that was going on was drawn to that. You know what? It was not uncommon then, and it's not uncommon today, for people to come where the action is, for people to be stirred by the crowds, for people to be intrigued by someone in the group. And there's nothing wrong with that individually, but that itself is not genuine discipleship. You know, God has blessed us tremendously here in this place. And he's brought a lot of people in a very short time together to be a part of this church. And I don't know what drew each one of you here. Maybe it was the Holy Spirit. Maybe it was a friend that asked. Maybe it was because you said, I got to go see what's going on over there because it must be something. There's so many people coming. 
And that's okay, but we cannot substitute that for genuine discipleship. You know, Jesus responded to that scribe that day, and he said, you know, foxes, even though they're nocturnal creatures, they have their dens to sleep in during the day. And birds, even though they are daytime creatures, they have their nests to go to at night. But me, the Son of Man, has no place to lay his head. What he was saying to this scribe, this prominent person, this very successful person in his society is, if you want security, don't follow me. If you want comfort, don't follow me. This is not easy. This will be difficult. The author of the passage leaves what happened unended, so we'll never know. In the first instance, we see that man approaching Jesus. In the second instance, we see Jesus approaching the man. In the first instance, we see the man being too eager like some of us. In the second instance, we see the man not being eager, eager enough like some of us. But he says in verse 59, he said to another, he said, follow me. But, but the man said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, there are several different opinions on the condition of the father here. It's very easy for us to assume that the father is dead or that the father is on his deathbed. But what if there's actually nothing wrong with the father? What if the father is healthy and in the prime of life? In other words, what if the man is saying, Jesus, I need to let my family issues be settled by death before I can follow you? I can't follow you because my father would hit the roof. Or, Jesus, I can't follow you because what would my spouse say? They wouldn't understand it. What if that was the case? You know, it begs the question to me, what is it in my life? What is in your life that is keeping us from being totally committed to him, that is keeping us from following him the way that he calls us to? You know, I think for me, it's my self-reliance sometimes. I think I think I'm so smart and so in control of my life that even though there, there's a creator out there that has a path for me that's clearly defined, that I choose my way instead of that way, even though it's best, even though it might be difficult. Because Jesus never promised that things wouldn't be difficult. He promises joy. And he promises life to the full. But they're going to be difficult times. And if we're going to be followers of his, we have to understand that it's going to be difficult. After studying the passage, I've come to the conclusion that I think the father's dead. I think that Jesus is trying to say that following me is so urgent that even the death of a loved one should not get in the way of that. And that's what kind of commitment I think he's asking us to. Which takes us to the third man. In verse 61, it says, Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Here Jesus shows a contrast that there's nothing 
not even the momentous death of a loved one, or the trivial thing of a family gathering should get in the way of us following him. But there's also a similarity. Look what it says in both verse 59 and verse 61, 62. It says, Lord, let me first. Lord, but let me first say farewell. Lord, let me first go bury my father. Let's break that down a little bit. Lord, let me first. Me first. Earlier in this passage in chapter 9, Jesus foretold his death and his resurrection. And after that, he said this to them in verse 23, if we can have it on the screen. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The cost of true discipleship is selflessness. We have got to learn to die to ourselves so that we might fully be committed and to follow him. You know, there's a, um, we'd miss the mark today if we didn't really talk about what our motivation for following him would be. Because see, if we are left to our own devices, we're not going to follow him for long. It might be like uh, starting all those other New Year's traditions that last about eight or ten weeks because there's really no motivation for him to, to continue. My, my, my daughter for Christmas got me a book that uh, is going to prepare me for a half marathon. And it's a 35-week proposition, okay? And so this is the week we start. So y'all be praying for me. But uh, I'm not your lead pastor who, that's his history. I've never done that before. But, but for me to have the motivation of that, I had to have the love of a daughter that's given me something and wants to do that with me. And for us to have the, uh, the motivation to become a disciple, we got to understand just how much God loves us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. There's a passage in here I want us to read that I think kind of helps explain this. Now, he was a, he was a religion professor, uh, a professor of theology at the University of Berlin in the 30s, and eventually he was a martyr for Christ. And this is a wonderful book, and I would recommend it to you strongly. But, uh, but let's read this together. This is what he says. He says, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is a grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has it is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all of his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man would pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follow him. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. 
And it is grace because it calls us to follow Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it's grace because it gives a man the only true life. If we're going to be disciples today, we've got to understand that the grace that Jesus offers us that comes with a price. But we have this unbelievable motivation of the gospel. And the gospel is this. The gospel is that Jesus loved us so much that he died for us so we might have relationship with him. And he loves us unconditionally. You know, what really helped me understand this some years ago was, was a story in Brennan Manning's book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. In the book, Brennan tells of a story about the Zook family. Jonas Zook was an 82-year-old widower. They, they raised pigs for a living. Barbara, his eldest daughter, was 57 years old. And she kind of managed the household. His three younger children, Rachel, 53, Elam, 47, and Sam, 45, were all severely disabled. As Brennan arrived that day, he saw little Elam coming out of the barn, four feet tall, heavy set, thick beard, holding a pitchfork in his hand. And even though Elam had never even met or knew who Brennan was, as Brennan left the car, little Elam threw the fish pitchfork down, ran directly to him from two feet out, flung himself up, wrapped his legs around his waist, his arms around his neck, and kissed him on the lips as fiercely and intensely as he had ever seen. And now Brennan was stunned, and he was self-conscious about this, as you can imagine. But in the twinkle of an eye, he said, Jesus released him from his propriety, and he kissed Elam back. After Elam got down, he grabbed him by the hand. He took him on a 30-minute tour of the farm. They went in for lunch. And at lunch, Brennan inadvertently turned to his right. And as he did, his elbow slammed into little Elam's ribcage. Now, Elam didn't wince or he didn't groan. But he cried like a two-year-old and screamed. But it's what happened next that really, really got Brennan. What happened next was little Elon sat on his lap and kissed him on the lips even more intensely as he had done before. And then he kissed him on the forehead, kissed him on the cheeks, kissed him on the nose, kissed him on the eye lips. And at that moment, Brennan understood what the power of great affection was. And he understood that there was nothing attractive about him that drew Elam to him. And Elam in that moment became an icon of Jesus himself to Brennan. And that's the way that God loves us. And if we can just get a sense of that, like Paul says in Ephesians, and understand the height and the breadth and the width of that, then we have no other option but to follow him fully. It's that unconditional love that moves us to unconditional commitment to our Savior. Pray with me. God, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for putting things in your word that are difficult to understand and, 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 and make us dig down deep to hear what you're trying to call us to do. 
I just pray today as we start the new year, as individuals and collectively as your church, that we will very much focus on becoming more and more like you and becoming followers and disciples of who you are. God, there are a lot of people in this room today that I don't know where they are, but you do. I don't know the condition of their hearts, but you do. I don't know what is standing in the way of them becoming fully committed to you, but you do. And I pray now in this time that you will move them to a decision, that they will set their face toward Jerusalem just like you did, and they will become your follower unconditionally. Thank you for loving us. In your name is without end All hailing the King of righteousness and every eye beholds the one Our hearts are undeserving of With a grace so glorious And oh glad that you came this morning. Happy New Year to everybody. And I'm glad that uh, Gary Watts taught today, aren't you? And I'm glad that Gary, yeah, you can clap. We can clap at Fonder Church. And I'm so glad that Gary Watts is running a half marathon this year. I did yeah. I mean, let's hire a part-time massage therapist or if we have one in the church that could render their services. It's going to be fun to watch that 50-year-old body fall apart as he trains. Or is it, what do you think, Scott? Is he going to get chiseled? He might get chiseled on us. But uh, hey, I'm picking at him. But man, I love what he shared. I love how he used that illustration about his beautiful daughter, Olivia, and uh, her love and for her dad and, and just what motivates us. And I pray that it's his love that motivates you. And um, I left here, like a lot of you, on Christmas Eve um, from this building to catch a plane to go out west. And man, my heart was full of love. And, uh, but it had been, um, you know, some things in 14, probably like some of you had beat me up a little bit. And it was so good to carve out time daily with God over vacation. No matter where you are, he is there. You can't run, can't hide from God. And just to say, search me, O God, and know my heart. And man, as a pastor, as your pastor, I've been refreshed over the break and to get with Gary and some of these guys who are elders here, but friends of mine and friends of this church. And just to sit around a, a fire and to sit around a table and uh, stay up way too late, 2.30 a.m. if you want to know, and just talk about life. And it was there with these friends that are friends of mine and leaders in our church that I, I learned that several of us have had a hard year and a lot to rejoice in. I mean, God is doing a great work in Fondren Church. But a lot of our leaders had, had uh, you know, experienced things and loss and just some discouragement. And just to know that God is working. But here's what I want to say to you. We are, uh, we want to call you. And we're going to do this over the next two weeks. In fact, we're going to have an opportunity in two and a half weeks for people to connect. And we want to invite you out of rows like you're in today and into circles. To come around each other in circles. And that's where you're going to grow. And your best chance to grow. And so we want you to be aware of a Wednesday night, January 21st. There's going to be a connection night. We're going to give you a lot of details about that. There will be other opportunities 
if you can't make that, that specific time, we want to encourage you on the 21st of January to think about um, jumping into a small group, exploring some options that we have to become better disciples, become better followers of him. Thank you guys uh, for being here today. Let me just pray a prayer of blessing. We look forward to seeing you this week, next week. God, thank you for today. I do thank you for, for the words of Christ from a passage that makes us uh, confused at first look, that seems uh, like we want to recoil and run from it, but yet it's so full of love. It's so full of invitation. It's so full of challenge for us in a world of car salesmen and insurance people and, and businesses and churches who tout their products and sell their services and but sometimes, oftentimes, do little to follow up and come around people. Lord, the gospel comes around us and you, you desire not just to tout the benefits to us of following you, but to tell us that there are costs. For in this world we have trouble and there's restlessness and pain and heartbreak and but God you give us a savior to redeem us and to call us and to sweep us up into a grand adventure that's greater than our own little selves Lord too many of us say but first myself first me first Lord help us help us in this new year to move away from that and more more toward you more toward each other in Jesus we pray together, amen. Thank you guys and be blessed.